are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head over to Facebook and find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, and there you'll be able to post your own thoughts and comments and be able to interact with other listeners and followers. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaimed the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 182, and we are beginning volume three of the Mystical City of God. This volume begins with book one, noted as book five, third of second part. I will refer to this book as book five, so that we continue the progression of numbers in our numeration of each episode. Today, then, on day number 182, we are reading from Volume 3, Book 5, Chapter 1, Paragraphs 1 through 14. Book 5. Concerning the perfection with which the Most Holy Mary copied and imitated the activity of the soul of Christ, how the Incarnate Word instructed her in the laws of grace, the articles of faith, the sacraments, the Ten Commandments, and with what alacrity and noble promptitude she corresponded. Also, concerning the death of St. Joseph, the preaching of St. John, the fasting and the baptism of our Redeemer, the call of the first disciples, and the baptism of the Virgin Mary, our Blessed Lady. Chapter 1. The Lord still farther tries the Most Holy Mary by acting toward her with a certain distance and severity. The reasons for this behavior are explained. 1. Already Jesus, Mary, and Joseph had settled in Nazareth, and thus changed their poor and humble dwelling into a heaven. In order to describe the mysteries and sacraments which passed between the divine child and his purest mother before his twelfth year, and later on until his public preaching, many chapters and many books would be required, and in them all I would be able to relate, but the smallest part in view of the vastness of the subject and the insignificance of such an ignorant woman as I am. Even with the light given me by this great lady, I can speak of only a few incidents, and must leave the greater part unsaid. It is not possible or befitting to us mortals to comprehend all these mysteries in this life, since they are reserved for the future life. 2. Shortly after the return from Egypt to Nazareth, the Lord resolved to try His Most Holy Mother in the same manner as He had tried her in her childhood, and as was mentioned in the second book of the first part, chapter 27. Although she was now vastly grown in the exercise of her love and wisdom, 
Yet, as the power of God and the object of divine charity is infinite, and as, moreover, the capacity of the queen exceeded that of all creatures, the Lord wished to raise her to the higher level of holiness and merit. Moreover, being a true educator of the Spirit, he wished to form of her a disciple of such exalted knowledge that she would truly be for us a consummate teacher and a living example of his own doctrines. For such was to be her office after the ascension of her Son and Redeemer, as I will relate in the third part. It was also befitting and necessary for the honor of Christ our Redeemer that the teaching of the gospel by which and on which he was to found the law of grace, holy, immaculate, and without a wrinkle, should give full evidence of its efficacy and power in a mere creature, and that all its adequate and supereminent effects should be exhibited in some one who could be a standard for all men. It is clear that this creature could be none else than the most blessed Mary, who, as his mother, stood so close to the master and teacher of all holiness. 3. The Mosai therefore resolved that the heavenly lady should be the first disciple of his school and the firstborn daughter of the new law of grace, the most perfect copy of his ideals, and the most pliant material upon which, as on liquid wax, should be set the seal of his doctrine of holiness, so that the son and the mother might be the two true tablets of the new law of the world. Exodus 31.18 For this purpose of the infinite wisdom he manifested to her all the mysteries of the evangelical law and of his doctrine. And this was the subject of his instructions from the time of the return from Egypt until his public preaching, as we shall see in the course of this history. In these hidden sacraments, the Incarnate Word and His Holy Mother occupied themselves during the twenty-three years of their stay in Nazareth. As all this concerned the Heavenly Mother alone, whose life the Holy Evangelists did not profess to narrate, the writers of the Gospel made no mention of it, excepting that which was related of the child Jesus, when in his twelfth year he was lost in Jerusalem. During all those years, Mary alone was the disciple of Christ. In addition, therefore, to the ineffable gifts of grace and holiness which he had conferred upon her until their arrival in Nazareth, he infused into her new light and made her a participant in his divine knowledge, depositing and engraving into her heart the whole law and the doctrine of grace, which to the end of the world was to be dispensed by his holy church. This was moreover effected in such an exalted manner that no human thought or words can express it, and the great lady was thereby filled with such wisdom and knowledge that it would suffice to enlighten many worlds if there were more than one. 4. In order to rear in the heart of the purest virgin this edifice of holiness to a height beyond all that is not God, the Lord laid its foundations accordingly, trying the strength of her love and of all her other virtues. For this purpose the Lord withdrew himself, causing her to lose him from her sight, which until then had caused her to revel in continual joy and delight. I do not wish to say that the Lord left her bodily, but still remaining with her and in her by an ineffable presence and grace, he hid himself from her interior sight and suspended the tokens of his most sweet affection. The heavenly lady in the meanwhile knew not the inward cause of this behavior as the Lord gave her no explanation. Moreover, his divine son, without any forewarning, showed himself very reserved and withdrew from her society. Many times he retired and spoke but few words to her, and even these with great earnestness and majesty. 
But what was apt to afflict her most was the eclipse of the light by which she was wont to see reflected as in a crystal the human operations of his most pure soul. This light was suddenly dimmed so much that she could not thenceforth distinguish them as a living copy of her own actions. 5. This unannounced and unexpected change was the crucible in which the purest gold of the love of our queen was cleansed and assayed. Surprised at what was happening, she immediately took refuge in the humble opinion she had of herself, deeming herself unworthy of the vision of the Lord, who now had hidden himself. She attributed it all to her want of correspondence and to her ingratitude for the blessings she had obtained from the most generous and exalted Father of Mercies. The most prudent queen did not feel so much of the privation of his delightful caresses as the dread of having displeased him and of having fallen short in his service. This was the arrow that pierced her heart with grief. One filled with such true and noble love could not feel less, for all delight of love is founded in the pleasure and satisfaction given by the lower to the one beloved, and therefore he cannot rest when he suspects that the beloved is not contented or pleased. The loving sighs of his mother were highly pleasing to her most holy son. He enamored with her anew, and the tender affection of his only and chosen one wounded his heart. Canticle 4.9 But whenever the sweet mother sought him out in order to hold converse with him, he continued to show exterior reserve, just as the flame of a forge or a conflagration is intensified by the application of insufficient water. So the flame of love in the heart of the sweetest mother was fanned to an intenser blaze by this adversity. 6. The single-hearted dove exercised herself in heroic acts of all the virtues. She humbled herself below the dust. She reverenced her son in deepest adoration. She blessed the father, thanking him for his admirable works and blessings, and conforming herself to his wishes and pleasure. She sought to know his will in order to fulfill it in all things. She unceasingly renewed her acts of faith, hope, and burning love. And in all her actions and in all her circumstances, this most fragrant spikenard gave forth the odor of the sweetness for him, the king of kings who rested in her heart, as in his flowery and perfumed couch. Canticle 111. She persevered in her tearful prayers with continual sighing and longing from her inmost heart. She poured forth her prayers in the presence of the Lord, and recounted her tribulation before the throne of God. Psalm 141.3 And many times she broke out in words of ineffable sweetness and loving sorrows such as these. 7. Creator of all the universe, she would say, eternal and almighty God, infinite is thy wisdom and goodness, incomprehensible in essence and perfection. Well do I know that my sighs are not hidden to thee, and that thou knowest of the wound that pierces my heart. If, as a useless handmaid, I have fallen short in thy service, and in pleasing thee, why, O life of my soul, dost thou not afflict me and chastise me with all the pains and sufferings of this my mortal life, so that I may not be obliged to endure the turning away of thy eyes, though I have deserved this treatment through my default? All punishments would be less than this, for my heart cannot bear my displeasure." Thou alone, O Lord, art my life, my happiness, my glory, and my treasure. My soul counts for nothing all that thou hast created, and their image lives not in my soul, except in order to magnify thy greatness and to acknowledge thee as creator and lord of all. 
What shall I then do if thou, my blessed Lord, the light of my eyes, the goal of my desires, the north star of my pilgrimage, the life of my being, and the essence of my life fail me? Who will give fountains to my eyes to bewail my want of correspondence to all the blessings I have received and my ingratitude for my benefits? My Lord, my light, my guide, and teacher on the way, who, by thy most exalted and perfect operations, directest my fragile and lukewarm undertakings. How can I regulate my life if thou fail me as my model? Who will guide me securely through this desert? What shall I do, and whither shall I return if thou deprivest me of my assistance? 8. Nor do this wounded deer rest satisfied therewith, but thirsting after the purest fountains of grace, she addressed herself also to the holy angels, and held long conferences and colloquies with them, saying, Sovereign princes and intimate friends of the highest king, my guardians, by your felicitous vision of this divine countenance, Matthew 18.10, and the ineffable light, 1 Timothy 6.16, I conjure you to tell me that cause of his displeasure, if such, he has conceived against me, intercede for me in his real presence, that through your prayers he may pardon me if I have offended him. Remind him, my friends, that I am but dust. Job 10.9 Although I am formed by his hands and have upon me the seal of his image, beseech him not to forget his needy one to the end, so that she may confess and magnify his name. Psalm 73.19 Ask him to give back to me the breath of life which fails me at the dread of having lost his love. Tell me how and by what means I can please him and regain the joy of his countenance. The holy angels answered, Our queen and sovereign, dilated is thy heart, and so that thou canst not be vanquished by tribulation. And none is so able as thou to understand how near the Lord is to the afflicted who call upon him. Psalm forty fifteen. Without doubt, he recognizes thy affection and does not despise thy loving sighs. Psalm 37.10 Even shall thou find a kind father and his only begotten, a most affectionate son looking upon thy affliction. The lovelorn mother replied, Will it perhaps be presumption to appear before him and prostrate myself before him, asking his pardon for any fault he might find in me? What shall I do? What relief can I find in my anxieties? And the holy princes answered, A humble heart does not displease our king. Upon it he fixes his loving regard, and he is never displeased by the clamors of those who act in love. 9. These colloquies and answers of the holy angels somewhat gladdened and consolated their queen and mistress. Since they confirmed her in her own interior conviction that these sweetest sighs would excite the special love and delight of the Most High, they will not speak more openly because the Lord of his own account wished to prolong these delights. Proverbs 8.31 Although her most holy son, on account of his natural love towards his mother, a mother only, not having any father, was often deeply touched with compassion at seeing her so afflicted, yet he would not show any signs thereof, hiding his compassion under a severe countenance, Sometimes when the most loving mother called him to his meals, he would delay. At other times, he would partake of them without looking at her or speaking to her. But although the great lady at such times shed many tears and lovingly sighed in her heart, she always put upon herself such restraint and weighed all her actions so wisely, that if it were possible for God to give way to wonder, 
which certainly he cannot, he would have yielded to such a feeling in the presence of such plenitude of holiness and perfection in this mere creature. And as far as he was man, the child Jesus delighted, especially in seeing his divine love and grace, bring forth such abundant fruits in his virgin mother. The holy angels sang to him a new hymn of praise for this admirable and unheard-of prodigy of virtues. 10. Upon the request of the loving mother, St. Joseph had made a couch, which she covered with a single blanket, and upon which the child Jesus rested and took his sleep. For from the time in which he had left the cradle, when they were yet in Egypt, he would not accept of any other bed or of more covering. Although he did not stretch himself out on this couch, nor even always made use of it, he sometimes reclined in a sitting posture upon it, resting upon a poor pillow made of wool by the same lady. When she spoke of preparing for him a better resting place, her most holy son answered that the only couch upon which he was to be stretched out was that of his cross, in order to teach men by his example. 1 Peter 2.21 That no one can enter eternal rest by things beloved of Babylon, and that to suffer is our true relief in mortal life. Thenceforward, the heavenly lady imitated him in this manner of taking rest with new earnestness and attention. When at night the time for repose had come, the mistress of humility had been accustomed to prostrate herself before her son as he reclined on his couch, asking his pardon for not having fulfilled all her duty in serving him and for not having been sufficiently grateful for the blessings of the day. She poured out her thanks anew and with many tears acknowledged him as true God and Redeemer of the world. And she would not rise from the ground until her son commanded her and gave her his blessing. The same behavior she observed also in the morning, requesting her divine teacher and master to impose upon her all that she was to do during the day in his service, which Jesus did with tokens of great love. 11. But now he changed his bearing and manner toward her. When the most innocent mother approached to reverence and adore him, as she was wont, although her tears and sighs issued ever more abundantly from her inmost heart, he would not answer her a word, but listened to her unmoved, commanding her to betake herself away. To see her son, the true God and man, so different in his behavior, and so distant in his action, so sparring of words, and in all his exterior bearing, so changed, ineffably, affected the purest and dove-like heart of the loving mother. The heavenly lady examined her interior, searched all the conditions, circumstances, and sequences of her actions, and racked her memory in her inquiry into the celestial working of her soul and faculties. Although she could find no shadow of darkness where all was light, holiness, purity, and grace, yet, since she knew, as Job says, that neither the heavens nor the stars are pure in the eyes of God, Job 15.15, 15, and since he finds fault even in the angelic spirits, Job 25.5, the great queen feared, lest she should have overlooked some defect which was known to the Lord. In this anxiety, she, though filled with supreme wisdom, suffered agonies of love, for her love being strong as death, Canticle 8, 6, caused in her an emulation kindled by an unquenchable fire of suffering and tribulation. This trial of our queen lasted many days, during which her most holy son looked upon her with incomparable pleasure, by which he raised her to the position of a teacher of all the creatures. 
he rewarded her loyalty and exquisite love with abundant graces, in addition to those which she already possessed. Then happened what I shall relate in the following chapter. Instruction vouchsafed by Mary, the Most Holy Queen of Heaven. 12. My daughter, I see that thou art desirous of being a disciple of my Most Holy Son, since now thou hast understood and described my own behavior in this regard. For thy consolation, take notice that he has exercised this office of teacher, not only once and not only at the time when he taught his holy doctrine, while yet in mortal flesh, as is related to the Gospels, Matthew 28.20, but that he continues to be the teacher of souls to the end of the world. He admonishes, instructs, and inspires them, urging them to put into practice whatever is most perfect and most holy. Thus, he acts toward all without exception, although according to his divine ordainment and according to the disposition and attentiveness of each soul, everyone receives more or less of the benefits. Matthew 11.5 If thou hadst always applied this truth, thou wouldst have known by abundant experience that the Lord does not refuse to act as the teacher of the poor, of the despised, and of the sinners. If they wish to listen to his secret doctrines, as thou now desirest to know what disposition he requires of thee, in order to have him teach thee to thy heart's content, I shall in his name inform thee of it. I assure thee that if he shall find thee well disposed, he will, as a true and wise teacher, communicate to thee the plentitude of his wisdom and enlightenment. 13. First of all, thou must keep thy conscience pure, undefiled, serene and quiet, keeping a constant watch against falling into any sin or imperfection throughout all the events of this life. At the same time, thou must withdraw thyself and disentangle thyself from all that is earthly, so much so that, as I have already formerly admonished thee, thou do not retain any image or memory of human or visible things, but maintain the utmost sincerity, purity, and serenity of heart. When thou thus hast cleared thy interior from the images and shadows of earthly things, then thou wilt pay attention to the voice of thy God, like a beloved daughter, forgetting the voice of Babylon, the house of her father Adam, and all the aftertastes of sin. I assure thee that he will speak to thee words of eternal life. John 6:69. 6, it will be thy duty to listen to him with reverence and humble gratitude, to appreciate his teachings and to follow them and practice with all diligence and punctuality. Nothing can be hid with this great master and teacher. Hebrews 4.13 And he withdraws in disgust from those who are ungrateful and disobedient. No one must think that these withdrawals of the Most High always happen in the same way as they happen to me. For the Lord withdrew from me, not on account of any fault of mine, but out of exceeding love. He is accustomed to withdraw from other creatures in order to visit them with merited punishment for their many sins, outrages, ingratitudes, and negligences. 14. Therefore, my daughter, engaging thy reverence and esteem for the teaching and enlightenment of the divine master, and for my own exhortations, thou must take into account thy omissions and faults. Moderate thy inordinate fears, and do not any more doubt that it is the Lord who speaks to thee and teaches thee. Since his doctrine of itself gives testimony of its own truth, and assures thee that God is its author, for thou seest that it is holy, pure, perfect, and without error, it inculcates whatever is best, and reprehends thy least fault, and it is moreover approved by thy instructors and spiritual directors, 
as I am thy teacher. I wish that thou also, in imitation of me, come every morning and night humbly and sorrowfully to confess thy faults, in order that I may intercede for thee, and as thy mother obtain for thee the pardon of the Lord. As soon as thou committest any imperfection, acknowledge it without delay, and ask the Lord pardon, promising to amend. If thou attend to these things which I here tell thee, thou wilt be a disciple of the Most High, and of me as thou desirest to be. Purity of soul and the divine grace is the most exquisite and adequate preparation for partaking of the influences of divine light and science, and the Redeemer of the world communicates it to his true disciples. This concludes our reading today for day number 182. We've been reading from Volume 3, Book 5, Chapter 1, Paragraphs 1 to 14. We are in the third quarter now. We finished our second volume. Today we begin Volume 3, and I just want to offer this disclaimer, is that these readings for this quarter will be a bit longer, I anticipate. Our past volumes that we've read were only about 610 pages. This volume that we are reading is 790 pages. It's almost 200 pages more than what we have been reading, which means we have 200 additional pages to cover in the same amount of time of three months for quarter number three. Today, for example, we read the entirety of chapter one, and it was roughly 10 to 12 pages. We will continue to read many of these chapters in their entirety, uh, which will be about this similar length. There will be some, though, because we can get ahead by doing that, that then there will be a few that I'll break up into a little smaller portion than doing two readings with one of the chapters, for example. Today's reading talked about Mary becoming a disciple of Jesus, that as she went with him to the home of Nazareth and as St. Joseph was there, the Lord Jesus wished to make Mary the example for all of humankind, that as she would learn from Jesus, that she would be the first disciple of his the Most High therefore resolved that the Heavenly Lady should be the first disciple of his school and the firstborn daughter of the new law of grace, the most perfect copy of his ideals and the most pliant material, so forth and so on. And really then, what is a disciple? It's one who learns from the Master, one who seeks to replicate the teachings of the Master. And then we heard today in our instruction from Our Lady that, My daughter, I see that thou art desirous of being a disciple of my most holy son. So not only is Mary a disciple, but then we consequently become disciples. And she tells us that we have to listen to the teachings of Jesus. Now, one of the things that Jesus said to his mother in our reading today when it was talking about the couch that he was laying on or whatever, that it was not the nicest, and Mary wanted to get him something new and different. He responded, Her most holy son answered that the only couch upon which he was to be stretched out was that of his cross, in order to teach men by his example, that no one can enter eternal rest by things beloved of Babylon, 
that to suffer is our true relief and mortal life. And so Jesus, already speaking and pointing to the cross that he would be on for three hours on Calvary, teaching us the meaning of suffering, telling us that we must renounce earthly things. Throughout this quarter, we are going to become disciples of our Lord and Our Lady. We will see how Mary lives her life of discipleship, and we'll see how Jesus teaches us to be his disciples. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of The Mystical City of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.